episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, still the official UK Seahawkers podcast. Things are back and some things are worth the wait. And this week is no different. Doing myself, Stuart Court, as always, is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? Good, my friend. And you? All good? Not too bad. Not too bad. First uh, drinking session five months on Saturday and it's Sunday was a struggle. So it was good to be back in that swing of things. And joining us this week... Uh, it was first time in a long time, weirdly long time, uh, is our friend from the Athletic and Seahawks man-to-man podcast, uh, our pal, Michael Sean Dugar. How are we, sir? What up, what up? Greetings from across the pond. How you doing? Last time, I, last time I saw you, you were trying to figure out if you knew the most miserable barmaid in all of Seattle. Oh, uh, man. What, was that for the Ravens game last year? Yeah, yeah. It was in that uh, speakeasy. And she was so yeah, that was. Oh, man, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good time when you guys were out here. for uh, Even the tailgate that morning. The game ended up being terrible. But yeah. um, the tailgate was good. Uh, the, the couple that brought the food. There was so much food there. I ate really good. Everyone was passing around a bunch of beer. Which is not like you're supposed to do before a game, but it's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a good time. Yeah, man. And not much has changed in the, yeah. the last nine oh, months. Oh, man. Really. That feels like a, an eon ago that the, most, <laughs> the biggest storyline around here at that time was uh, Earl coming back. Yeah. That was Earl's first game back in CenturyLink. I and mean, that's just, yeah, that feels like that was 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so how, how has the last few months, obviously, you back at VMAC? Uh, socially distanced. How's, yeah, how's all that been? The the protocol to get into the facility, like there's just so much, there's so much to work out. Like this, uh, to get into the facility to go to training camp, I had to, I had to pass a COVID test, wait 72 hours, pass another COVID test, wait another 72 hours, pass another COVID test, and then I can get into the building, and then to get into the building every day after that, I have to take another COVID test every morning uh, before uh, 24 hours before practice. So if you guys, have, if you see me out there, it's because I passed the COVID test the morning before. Uh, we got to stay masked up the whole time. Uh, there's no interviews with players one-on-one. You can't be anywhere near a player. And so they split the, they split the media into tiers. There's tier two and then there's tier three. Tier three guys don't have to get tested and they can't come in the building. But even there's like a rope that separates tier three from tier two out on the practice field. Let's say, um, who's tier three? Uh, Art Teal, Sports Press Northwest. Art's tier three. So when I'm talking to him from across the rope, I have to be 10 feet from Art because I'm able to be in the building and, and he's not. And so like the NFL, like they review practice tapes and stuff like that to make sure everyone's doing everything. They're probably not checking for the media. It's more so like making sure Pete Carroll's wearing a mask and stuff like that. But they could, they could, you know, see us violating the rules too. There's a lot of rules. I wear a tracking device. that has got my name on it every day. Uh, I get my temperature checked every day. If it's over 100.4, I can't come in. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, extra stuff to get into to training camp. But once we get in there, it's, it's, it's actually been pretty pretty normal. It looks like normal life again. Yeah. I mean, I'm 
three weeks away from going back to watch my local soccer team. So it, the best part about that is getting some normalcy back. And as you say, that's probably the biggest thing about getting back into some sort of a routine, isn't it? Yeah, it, that, that part has been nice. Although I didn't mind like the, the time off from football. I read a lot of, I, I read a lot. I'm in a book club, but I read for fun just as well. Um, and then, so there was like the double whammy, almost like a triple whammy. Like if you were a black journalist, there was like a triple whammy of things that happened in the spring. So you had COVID happened, and uh, after a while, we figured out that oh, COVID was disproportionately affecting black people, right? Whether that was with the health or like um, the economy kind of taking the dump, right? Because a lot of us were on like. Uh, jobs that weren't essential, budgets went on unemployment. So there was that part. Then George Floyd died, gets killed, then like the whole world is burning stuff down. Right. So obviously black people that that was like guys have been telling you about this. Right. And then now there's no sports either. So if like you were black and the sports writer, the world just kinda came crashing down on you from like March shoot some people still unemployed all right like cover college football you're probably screwed right because you know college football is basically shutting down so that that kind of triple whammy was not like great but the time to like talk to my white friends about race and be on other people's podcasts and radio shows and just like because i was like resident black guy who could talk about the intersection of race and sports for a lot of people which is fine i'm cool with that so I've got to really just spread some knowledge because um, that was always a top. When I read a lot, those are the topics that I'm into. They're intersection between race and football, race and boxing, college football, basketball, baseball, which is really bad. Uh, so had I already actually been doing all the research just for fun and then like all these things happen, I'm like, oh, I'm equipped to talk about all of this, bring it on. So that part was okay. I mean, it wasn't great to see what was going on in the streets and what, you know, it shouldn't have taken George Floyd getting killed on camera for it to happen. Uh, but that was actually, I thought, was a, a lot more of, like, an important time for us than, like, now, like, I'm writing about, like, second-string linebackers and stuff like that, which is okay. That's part of the job, too. But when we're talking about, like, the spirit of the Rooney rule, that was way more fun uh, for me and more important. Uh, in the big picture. I mean, it does feel like the NFL, which, you know, from a sports perspective is probably a good thing, but from a social justice, obviously they had a lot of stuff with the, the Mahomes kind of video, which obviously spurred Roger Goodell into talking about stuff. But the NFL, more than any sport, seems to have kind of been just like head in the sand. We're following the same time scale and we're going to go and these are the games and we're not going to change the schedule and it's all going to happen. And it, it kind of feels like we're going to get to week one with this because the way in which you talk about the protocols with each player, it doesn't seem to be a reason why week one isn't going to be achievable. But after that, I mean, I know that your mate, Four Verts, is, uh, has been talking a lot about how the season's not going to happen, which, you know, who knows if it is, you know, the media are being blamed by some guys in the NFL media, you know, NFL network, like it's the media's fault if the season doesn't happen, which is complete bullshit obviously, um, and like just embarrassing stuff from an embarrassing person. But like, how does this, how does it look to you going forward? Because the NFL kind of is just going on like, you know, business as usual, but it, you know, in a way, there's only so, so long that can be true for. Yeah. The, the tricky thing about 
I don't want to say it's tricky. In college football and the NFL, for the most part, what they did was um, I like to say sports is a microcosm for society, and what happened with the coronavirus is a great example. In terms of our government, whether that's uh, federal or local or whatever, for the most part, what we did was however we viewed the virus, we found uh, news outlets and like medical professionals to confirm our, our bias about it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of confirmation bias going on. If we thought the virus was like the flu and it was going to go away, you could find some news outlet that had some medical professional support your theory. And then if you thought it was the worst thing ever and we should shut everything down and treat it like the very serious thing that it is, you could also find medical professionals to support your theory. And that's what we did as a government for the most part. That's why some states opened up right away. Florida, I don't think ever really closed. Um, and that is what happened in sports. If you were running an NFL team or if you were running uh, a college football conference, Power 5, SEC, whatever, you're able to find a doctor to be like, no, 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 you guys can play. Or you can find docs who's like, hell no. What do you know you can't play? Um, and because of that, football looks like a mess in particular because a bubble was never an option. Uh, so the really only options were play and not play. And that got really scary. Thankfully for the NFL players, there's a union that they can negotiate these things and be safe and, and all of that. Yeah, right now it looks fine. I think only like nine NFL players are currently on the COVID list, like of the whole league. That's incredible. Um, so that's, that's actually a really good sign. But that's why college football, you know, took a dump because you had so many – and then it was regional thing too, right? You got the deep south where like football is, is God. And then you look over here in the west coast of the country and it's like, well, we like football, but we ain't going to die for it. Um and the, the Midwest in the middle, so the Big Ten is, like, in a weird spot. So you have, like, the regional parts of it and, like, the, the political aspects of it. College football is screwed in that regard. The NFL, it's a lot more, like, uh, standardized. You know, it doesn't really matter if you own the Chargers or the Bills or the Jaguars. You all under the same rules. doesn't matter your political whatever. But the reason it took so long is because everyone kind of sat on their hands and was like, well, maybe it'll go away by July. Oh, July is here. Oh, it hasn't gone away. Oh shit, what do we do? Uh and it got and it got ugly. But because everyone wants football so bad, yeah, I think we'll get to week one and then it gets interesting. Because everyone's fine in their little bubbles. Right now we have bubbles. They leave the facility, they go home with their wives or kids or whatever, and they come back. Work, home, work, home. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what happens when your your work is flying to play the Falcons? And then you guys run into each other for an hour. You stay in hotels, you, you ride buses that aren't your usual drivers, or maybe they weren't sanitized the same way or whatever. You get on a plane, it was a private plane, and then you fly back. And then the next week, I think, ugh, I forget who comes in, the Patriots maybe? Yeah. They come in, uh, you know, and there's just, once we start like mixing bubbles, then we'll see how well this is really, really going. But yeah, we're going to get to week one because everyone kind of created their own bubbles and let people know like, hey, if you pull a Kima Sivaran thing and try to sneak some girls in, we're going to kick you the hell out of here. <laughs> and everyone's kind of following following the rules. But yeah, I'm very confident in week one. And after that, I've, I have no idea how much I should trust the NFL to get us through uh, a pandemic, basically. Could they have done yeah, – obviously, bubbling is not, you know, not an option, but it did kind of seem like you could have got – you know, maybe all the AFC East games out the way because they don't really matter and 
put, you know, some contingency weeks in because there's not really a lot, you know, if you, if you don't finish season in February, there's no college season. It doesn't matter, I guess, if you're two or three weeks late. It kind of feels like right. every egg is in one basket of everything has to be absolutely perfect. And it could be completely screwed with one hiccup. Is it, is it like the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball who just like not played as many games? Now, that's probably okay in baseball. Yeah, I think the Marlins too, I yeah. think. I mean, I mean, that's not going to wash in football if teams just don't play the same number of games. So it just kind of feels like they've been a, a little bit brazen of like, it's football, therefore it'll be fine because it's always fine because we have all the money and, you know, whatever we say will go. But it does feel like with a lack of contingency in place, they could they could cause themselves some problems. I don't, I don't know if like any Seahawk players or coaches have even talked about it or if they're just like, it's training camp now, so we don't care about the rest of the world and what's going on. Yeah, it's it's the thing about I I cut the NFL and college football to some extent some slack. They were probably never going to come up with a plan that would have worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even think they tried, and yeah. that's that's the problem there. I don't think they put their heads together as specific to the NFL and even really seriously considered the idea of what if we can't play the season as scheduled. Uh, that it doesn't seem like that was ever even really considered. Like even the, the owners wanted preseason games still, like they wanted everything to go as scheduled. And I, I would have floated some really crazy stuff. Out there. I would have just acknowledged like, Hey guys, I would have walked in the room. This is not going to be normal. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be expensive. It's going to require a lot of moving parts. Let's see what we can figure out. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not going to be just, we just play week one through week 20, which is the Super Bowl, and it's fine. No hiccups. Of course not. Uh, I would have Everyone know, don't even plan on putting fans in there, and we'll figure that out from there. Um, I actually would have tried to bubble. I would have tried to do three bubbles mm-hmm. uh, regionally. I would have probably tried to do one in somewhere on the East Coast, maybe uh, maybe shoot, maybe Florida. As crazy as it is to go to Florida, it's working for the NBA. I'm watching an NBA game right now. It's working uh, for the NBA, soccer, and WNBA. So I would have tried maybe a Florida bubble somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, has a lot of space for it. Maybe like, I don't know, or maybe you do Vegas or Texas or something like that. Maybe a spot in California as well. Divvy it up in thirds. So what's that? Maybe it wouldn't be, I don't know, 32 is not divisible by three. So whatever. I would have tried multiple bubbles there, but that would have been like a lot of work. North, like north, south, east, and west, you just play those teams twice, like for something like that. Yeah, you you, you change the schedules up for sure yeah. i would have changed the schedules like the seahawks schedule right now has them going i think to buffalo miami uh maybe washington. philly washington washington yeah like you don't gotta go to why yeah. well that's what baseball play the, play the chargers play the raiders yeah just that's, play the west that's what you should be doing yeah because that's what baseball right. mariners, mariners are only playing their division and the west division in the other conference aren't they yeah, the, uh, well, their uh, their schedule got shortened a lot too. I think it's yeah, sixty yeah, yeah. versus like one sixty, which is it's a lot easier to do that. But yeah, I mean, they could have done that too. All right, let's cut it to ten games. Yeah. Um, you're only playing teams in your time zone, uh, and you you only know, you play your division twice still. Yeah. Uh, so that helps there. Um, and you kind of figure that out. Now cutting games means cutting money, so I could see why they didn't want to necessarily do that. But sure, play sixteen, but. You know, play some other teams twice. Like play the whole AFC, play the whole AFC West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, play the whole NFC. Yeah, NFC West is. Oh, they're already in the NFC West. But yeah, play the NFC West, play the AFC West, and play the 
I don't know, fig- figure it out yeah. to get your to get your schedule uh, where where it should be. And I would I would explored, yeah, the bubble thing. I would have explored. I would have explored um, making it like college, making making the whole season like training camp, where like let's say in Seattle, they take a few Marriotts or Hyatts or whatever, and say, hey guys, it sucks, but from from training camp to the Super Bowl, you live in this Marriott. Mm-hmm. Tell wife, tell wife you love her. Tell kids you'll see them with when you see them. Mm. Opt out if you want. Just kind of like the NBA, same thing. If you want to be with your family, do what you got to do. If you want to go here, we're staying in these Marriotts, these Hyatts or whatever, and you can't leave Bellevue. That's it. We'll bust you to practice every day and back and just kind of create little bubbles within each city uh, to keep everyone – because right now there's nothing to stop a defensive lineman from going from practice to the strip club or, you know, renting a boat and putting 10 chicks and his 10 of his homies on it and then coming back to practice the next day. There's nothing that prevents it from that. It's just like you're just asking to be responsible. And I would not have had enough trust in this age demographic, like what, 22 to 32 I ain't trusting these guys to just be on their best behavior for four months. <laughs> someone's uh, going to do it. Five months or whatever. So, uh, Out of 600 oh, oh, guys, for, someone's going to well, do there it. Was, there was the basketball player who did it before the bubble, and they, he went to the strip club for the wings or something. Wasn't that? Yeah, Lou Williams uh, yeah. was gone for a funeral. Yeah. But even before him, I think someone just left to get food. I think it was Rashawn Holmes. Or yeah, Williams, yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, like – Guys and then guys that left the bubble for funerals or whatever. The, I think um, someone just left the birth of their son or child. Drew Holiday, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get that wrong. Maybe it wasn't Drew, but someone left to have a birth of a kid. Uh, and that stuff was going to come up too. You're going to get birthdays or whatever, deaths in the family, wedding, whatever. And that's fine. You have a protocol in place, but you make sure when guys are in their NFL city, they can't go anywhere and that would have been tough to negotiate but i think the nflpa probably would have caved on that if it meant like getting a full season uninterrupted getting the money they needed and letting guys know they could opt out like if you got your philip rivers and you can't be away from your 12 kids you know for, <laughs> for that much time fine opt out they got jacoby Brissett. you know you know here's your opt-out money that that's i would have floated a ton of things like that even if we came to what's ultimately here now I don't think any of that was seriously considered because of greed. Yeah. Have you, have you spoken to any guys in the locker room about like that and like what they would have done? I mean, there's a lot of erudite, very intelligent, thoughtful guys in there that must've been thinking about options. Has anyone meant, I know you can't get as close to them as you used to be able to, but has there been any chat in the sealed locker room about stuff like that, that they could have done or could be doing still? I don't think anyone's comfortable like theorizing and pretending they have the answers because uh, these guys are admittedly – I mean, I'm not like super – oh, there it is. It was Mike Conley who left. They have, they're showing it on TV right now. That's who left to go. I have the birth of his son, Elijah. Um, sorry. I don't think I've talked to anyone who like really like purported themselves as a COVID expert, right? They just wanted to be safe. They wanted to know something. These guys were finding out updates about the negotiations for the protocols on Twitter just like us. Right. They weren't, you know, you got guys who are like, oh, wait, that's what's going on. Oh, they want to take how much of our salaries in escrow. They were finding out all of that, like on Twitter um, or maybe like in a group chat or something like that. So they just wanted to be safe. They wanted answers and they wanted to be safe. They didn't necessarily like 
from what I have a guy that have a ton of ideas on how that should look. They just knew that the NFL is not doing enough and they're trying to get as much money out of us as possible while taking as much money from us as they can. Uh, and they, they knew that part was wrong. So they wanted to make sure they had, they got paid and they wanted to make sure they were safe. I don't know if anyone was necessarily like floating like ideas of bubbles, maybe with amongst themselves, but that would have required um, like some big picture planning that I don't know if a lot of guys want to do. They're football players. They just wanted to play football. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wanted to be safe, you know, while, while doing it. They didn't want to pretend they had all the answers because no one really does. They just wanted the people, you know, in the NFL, they're like, all right, it is kind of your job to have some answers. So why haven't you come up with any prior to the start of training camp? Yeah. Also, the chance of my soccer team and the Seahawks winning with an asterisk is something I would really enjoy and look forward to. Um, but yeah, also, obviously, one thing happened in the last few months, you touched on it, obviously, the, the George Floyd murder and the fallout and the, the Black Lives Matter thing really taking precedent in not just media over over in your neck of the woods but over here as well how, how do you think obviously the league with Roger Goodell but how do you think the Seahawks and the prominent members dealt with all of the George Floyd related stuff obviously I think we talked on text about the Russell Wilson Zoom we talked to Danny O'Neill two couple of weeks ago about it as well and it's just kind of like a, a Russell Wilson we haven't really seen before but it was kind of Russell Wilson we enjoyed seeing is that if that's the right way to put it? So the nation, the the national response, I thought was um, was positive in that, like, you got more people who just didn't directly affect uh, mostly white people wanting to know more, and I'm you know feeling a way, like feeling genuinely like, okay, this is it. I need to stop sitting on my hands and start helping not enough for me to just be to just not be racist there was like a kind of a understanding hey i need to be anti-racist how can i do that like you look at all the movies that stream the most on netflix and all the books that were flying off amazon you could tell what was the most viewed stuff on youtube there was there was a lot of people trying to get educated and i appreciated that now i mean that doesn't mean that everyone just was like fully enlightened there was still people were still able to get distracted um, for whatever reason, but that, like, generally speaking, I thought that was that was good. The debate about what's a protest and what's like a riot and looting and all that that got that got distorted. Um, and I don't know how much good that ultimately did, but the way the initial response from sports was good. Like we were getting statements from teams and all that. That was like a good start. But I thought we could have done a lot more. And I don't know whose fault this is. Maybe it's the media. I don't want to blame the players. We really should have put more pressure on the people in charge, whether that's the athletic director at a school, the president at a college, uh, the owner of a team. Like, I feel like we kept wanting to hear from the coaches um, and Goodell when that's fine. But, like, there's, like, the systemic racism in, like, these sports leagues, it comes from the top. It comes from, you know – Jody's a she, she's a new owner, but the Jody Allen's, the Jerry Jones, the Robert Kraft, or his son, whatever his son's name is, or no, yeah, Bob Kraft, or like uh, the McNairs that own the Texans. It comes from them. It comes from those guys, and they were relatively quiet. And because of that, and then that that was everywhere. That was like Power Five ads and commissioners and things like that. 
So I thought we could have done a lot more there because we put a lot of onus on the players. And we was like, okay, players, we need you to also be, be these world-class athletes, be woke as hell, and save the world and end racism. Like, that's not their job. They're already enduring the shit. Like, it's not their job to then fix it as well or tell you how you can be anti-racist. Um, there was a lot of my friends, all my black friends, like, look, I'm not about to just be schooling every white person I meet on how they can help. They're grown as hell. Google it. Like, because they're tired. They're tired of having to explain that to everyone. Tired of why explaining, like, why saying you're colorblind is, like, tired of explaining why that's stupid. Um, I had the energy to do it, but a lot of us did not, and I get that. Uh, so the, the, I feel like a lot, a lot of people kind of, it clicked for them, whether they're in sports or out of sports or whatever, whether because of they, that was their first time seeing someone die. That was the first time that was a perfect victim to them, George Floyd. Maybe the other victims, it's like, oh, maybe this, maybe that, maybe they did this. But George was like, no, 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 that's wrong. Now, that elicited some weird response from me because for me, I've been seeing these for years. Mm-hmm. All the videos, all the, I've never watched a George Floyd video, but obviously I know what happened in it. Um, I think of Eric Gardner in New York. I think that was like 20. 20- 14 maybe got choked yeah. out said i can't breathe and died on on camera there was protests it was so when a george floyd happened and people asked me what's the difference i'm like i have no idea actually people who didn't care about eric gardner i don't know what the difference is a black dude getting choked out by the police with other police watching on tape who didn't do nothing and said he can't breathe right it was the same almost to the t just in a different city i think eric was in new york versus minneapolis so I, I, for a little bit there, it was hard for me to, like, grasp how sincere everyone was and, like, caring now so much, uh, especially people in Seattle, because we've had these things happen in Seattle before. You know, police just shot a black guy in the head, I want to say, four months ago um, in Seattle. Um, Charlene Allows got shot in her own apartment in 2017. You know, and then this, as it pertains to athletes, Michael, Michael Bennett's on YouTube right now with a cop to the cop got a gun to his head, you know, and we still don't know whether he said he blew it, he'll blow your head off, but the police never really denied that. Um, so I was wondering where, like, what took y'all so long? Why did it take the George Floyd video to, to get you guys here? I didn't really, I never really got a good answer for that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me question how sincere everything was, but the people I talked to personally, um, and having some convos with some other white friends and who, how they dealt with their families and all that, it, it did feel like we did a, a little bit of a shift. We still have a long, long way to go, not just in sports, but in the world. But I think we made a big step in the right direction. I'm just afraid we won't necessarily follow up on it. Like you said, Stu, we're getting normalcy again. Well, normalcy is ignoring this stuff. That is what is normal. That's why I, I preferred when it wasn't normal because we were paying attention to shit that actually mattered. So I, mean, I remember you were talking about in the NBA, I think that when they were starting kneeling for every game and every player was told to do it, you know, told in inverted commas. So in every Premier League soccer game, the referee blew the whistle to start the game and every player took a knee for the first eight seconds of the game. And it almost became a point of like, it became gratuitous to the point where it was performative yeah it was performative and gratuitous and the message was being lost and it was like and now the players take the symbolic knee for Black Lives Matter but when you see it for the hundredth time like as a performance 
it kind of loses all of its kind of impact to, to the cause. And it, 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 it's like in saying the words Black Lives Matter, like, well, that's the job done. We, we, we have to do it. We, we've, we've ticked the box now. We have to do, we don't have to do anything else. And I guess for, for these sports leagues, the onus is on them to do more than that. And, and it's not just about saying the words, it's about acting the words. Yeah, and I think the key the key distinction there, I'm gonna steal this from someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but they made the point that okay, the kneeling it's not that it's completely hollow, but we gotta stop calling it a protest. It's not a protest. Protest at the root of protest is defiance. The reason Kaepernick didn't oh, that was the other part where I trusted the sincerity. Kaepernick's still unemployed. Like that's <laughs> yeah. a first, that's like a really big way to show you care. Um especially with the Seahawks, that Pete fumbled that to me. And there's no way – you can't tell me otherwise. But uh, Well, you could, but it, you would have a hard time. Um, you got, you got full, full agreement on this podcast with that, so you, you don't have to tr- preach to us about that. Trevor Simeon got another yeah. job in the NFL today. Got, guys who stink keep getting jobs. Guys who haven't played in a while keep getting jobs. Um, they just paid that Atlanta guy just to get some intel for two weeks on Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Danny whatever his name is, dude. Oh shit! Uh, people keep telling me uh, Cap Kaepernick uh, doesn't. Is that, uh, I had to argue with people the other day. It's like, oh, you know, Gino knows the playbook. Gino Smith, that is. Like, what? Who cares if you know the playbook if you can't throw? Mike, you know, he'd like, be a distraction. Don't you know that he'd be a distraction <laughs> in the locker room? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the distraction stuff. The uh, it's just it's just so so brutal. The one thing I I haven't really said this to anyone on Twitter yet, but I feel like people don't remember as Seahawks fans. Like in 2018, the training camp, both of their quarterbacks were so bad. I forget who they were. Um, if they just traded for Brett Hundley, just one day it was like, here we'll just have Brett Hundley. And how much did he know in the playbook? Not a goddamn thing. He didn't know anything in the playbook. And then he was a backup all year. Now, they didn't need him, but it was just like, if you can do that, you can sign Kaepernick. It doesn't matter what Gino knows of the playbook if you're not very good. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the Kaepernick discussions are still very frustrating. Um, but with the kneeling, I really don't think any player should be kneeling anymore. Like, if you want to, go ahead. If you don't, don't. I, I think that's how it should always have been because it's more of a demonstration than a protest. If you want to demonstrate, sure. But you're not protesting anything. You've basically gotten the green light. Uh, to do it. A protest is defiant. A protest is like, here's the status quo, and this is me letting you know I want to disrupt that. Wherever that is, whether that's a, uh, you don't come out there at all, you sit down, whatever, you, you're just disrupting the norm. And if we make kneeling the norm, then if you really want to protest, you do something else. And the protest is not always just in the gesture. It's your words, too. Like, if Kaepernick, when he sat down in 2016, and they were like, hey, you didn't stand for the anthem. What's up with that? I'm like, well, you know, I just really think the NFL should focus more on colon cancer. Totally different reaction in the world, you know, or if he's like, you know what, I think we do not do enough for the rights of, you know, what, give me an extinct animal like polar bears or something like that. If he's just like, you know what, yeah, we're, the way we're treating polar bears in this country, not okay with me. And I can't stand for the anthem until we get that. There would have been some people who were upset, but he wouldn't have become the figure he became, right? The protest was in the messaging that he said on top of the gesture itself. So that's why just kneeling or just saying like Black Lives Matter is like a step 
but the real like change when you you take a stand. Saying Black Lives Matter is not taking a stand. Ka- Colin Kaepernick took a stand for something, something very important. And it, it wasn't just that he took a knee. And so I thought that was, that's kind of gotten lost um, since it's become, yeah, much of a performative measure. The NBA, the whole thing's performative. It's just, it's a demonstration. It's what you can do, it's fine. But if you're, if you're really trying to, you know, shake the table, then it's got to be, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, I mean, we saw Marshall Lynch's look after your chicken and all that. And that is equally, if, well, almost equally as important as what Kaepernick said. But, the, the, I mean, Lynch became a meme and Kaepernick is, as you say, unemployed and kind of blacklisted for saying something equally as important as what Marshall was trying to say in his Marshall way, wasn't he? Marshawn's was a lot less um, divisive because it was like, just manage your money well, yeah. um, which is like on its face, not like disruptive at all. You know, that's the advice he'll give anyone. Colin Kaepernick was like, white supremacy is bad. And everyone's like, wait a minute. How dare you say that like white supremacy even exists, let alone mm. be bad. Um, and I, I, I will say this, and this is, this is important, and I think this has really gotten lost, and even people who are well-intentioned um, kind of get this misconstrued. Colin Kaepernick was protesting the flag. He was. He was protesting the flag. He was protesting the flag because he didn't feel like the country was treating its people in a way that upholds what that flag is supposed to represent. And he was like, I would like it to represent everything it's supposed to. Liberty, justice, freedom for all. He was like, we're not doing that. So I am protesting America. And when you protest America, you protest white supremacy because white supremacy is what founded and what like keeps the country going and has for hundreds of years. So as much as like, I understand it's like, this isn't about the flag. Well, no, it kind of is, right? Like he, he cared about, cares about America enough to be like, I'm a, I'm a hold America accountable for the things that it's doing wrong, specifically to black people and other marginalized groups. That is what be, being patriotic looks like. It's not just accepting the status quo no matter who it like negatively affects, right? Yeah. It's caring about your country enough to hold it accountable to the ideals that it has like written down in this document that it swears by that was written and black people are in chains, but whatever. Like, okay, liberty, justice, freedom for all. That's not happening. So when that starts happening, then we can kumbaya around this flag. And that is what set so many people off. Um, and that it wasn't an indictment of the military specifically. That is the part that got misconstrued. But it was very much about the flag. And I think that's okay. Because it was like, what that flag was supposed to stand for? Um, and because we got so lost, you know, in that, it was hard for people to grasp that message. But that's why he became the figure he became. Because he basically was like, hey, America's kind of not the coolest place right now. Here's why. And you got a lot of people who are like, how dare you tell me my America isn't great, right? And you like couple that with the slogan that Trump had and it just like turned the country into this war zone. And it kind of still is, uh, really. But that's what, that's what I would say what, what he did is way different than like even a Marshawn or some of the other people who have gone after Malcolm Jenkins, even Megan Rapino, or uh, even like Jalen Brown, Kenny Stills, Eric Reed. They're all coming after the fact. 
in our piggybacking when Colin kind of laid it like straight out, like I'm upset with how America is treating people. And that includes like this flag where we recognize how great America is. Like, ah, it's not that great for these people and here's why, let's fix it. That pissed a lot of people off. But it's okay for those people to wear the flag as a Speedo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a a bra, a, a, a bandana, uh, swimsuit. Like literally tucking yeah, the flag on shirt. up your ass is okay. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't Because, I mean, that's, that's, that's like honoring it in, how, in the way that you want to, right? And then that's, we don't, no one really looks at it as like, again, it's the words. It's like if you had a, a flag up your ass and we're just like, well, this is why I have it there because we're not treating, you know, Mexican people right. <laughs> or, you know, our Latino brothers and sisters, then people are pissing you off, you know, they're pissed. Uh, but if you're like, no, I just got it here because, uh, you know, I'm riding for breast cancer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like how, uh, the, the wording is, is what really pissed people off. And Kaepernick's words were very powerful. I thought they were very important. And I want people to know that, that, hey, it, was, it actually was the flag. And here's why that's okay, too. Yeah. Um, I don't mean it sounds, son. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the last thing is that uh, the cynic in me suggests that in plastering Black Lives Matter all over NFL courts and the back of player jerseys and presumably it'll be around in kind of the NFL arena, it's kind of taken away the meaning of the words because it's just there's just so much of it that, you know, you, you, the message is, is getting lost, as you say. Um, is there a chance that, like, it's going to become in some way kind of performative that there needs almost needs to be another slogan because at its outset, those three words, black lives matter meant so much and shocked so many people into action eventually. But now when you see so much of it, it's almost like, Oh yeah, I know that phrase. I've seen it a hundred times a day. It almost feels to me like there's something else. There needs to be a second wave. I think the words itself are still part of the simplest form of what we want. Um, I think because it's also become so divisive that like that phrase still pisses people off because here's another way people got distracted is like focused on the organization itself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, something about the people in the organization being Marxists or something like that. It just, it just got all distracted. Um, but it still gets to the root, you know, of it. There's another one. Um, there's a clothing line here in Seattle where they have, they have like gear that says like legalized blackness. Mm-hmm. That's another like way of saying it too. But I think if we get to the heart of why it's divisive, I think the phrase still has like power, right? Even if it's like on the NBA, like there's an NBA game on in the back and there's, you know, it's on everyone's jersey, it's on the court. It's still divisive and it's still a reminder of what's going on. And it still gets people to tell on themselves too. It's not, it just, it hasn't been accepted like enough I think it's got totally watered down um, because you still get some people who are like, oh, wow, no, Black Lives Matter is a farce or Black Lives Matter uh, is, a, um, is a hate group or, you know, it's a terrorist organization. Um, and we need those people to speak up because we can weed you out. Like, if you think Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, I got some bad news for you about the police. Um, <laughs> like, how much time do you have? I got a whole hundred years of history to say that's the biggest gang in the history of the country and they're strong as hell. And they're a lot stronger than some black people who are just angry with the signs. Um, so I think it hasn't got fully watered down in that way. That could happen. But I think because it's still so divisive, it's like putting Kaepernick back on the field. It's like, 
he is not just accepted. His his approval rating is still probably pretty low if he was like a presidential candidate. And I think because the like approval rating of Black Lives Matter has gone up because it ain't a hundred percent, I would say it went up from like maybe like in sports, maybe like thirty five to like sixty five. There's still that. 35% that we got to like really get to. And the one of the ways we can get it is throwing it in their face every way and letting them just like expose themselves so we can call them out for being racist and then get them out of their pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's doing something to make it palatable to people who don't want it to be palatable, no matter how heavy it's thrown at them. Isn't it really? Right. Uh, yep. Yep. Exactly. We've talked about how you got in the building. Once you've got in the building, um, this Jamal Adams is he any good? And I can't believe it took that guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I said twenty minutes on Twitter, but I wish I could like get the right timestamp. I think it was the first snap of his first eleven on eleven day in pads, <laughs> and he picked off Russell and took it to the house and. I've seen Russell get picked off in practice. I think I've even seen him throw a pick six. Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, what Jamal did on his, fir- his first snap, first snap, <laughs> you know, he just picks him up. And it, it, was, it wasn't like they were backed up. And the, uh, the offense wasn't like backed up on it. They were in the red zone already. So that would have been like a 100-yard pick six from the middle of the field. It wasn't like uh, Cam from the playoff game, Cam against Cam Newton. Um Cam really didn't – once he catches the ball, he's going to score unless he's fat, right? Like, that's it because Cam had a had a beeline uh, in that in that playoff game against the Panthers. Jamal had to catch it right in the middle of the goal line, in the middle of the field, weave 100 yards. And obviously, there's no live tackling, but I'm very – no one was going to catch him. That was it. Like, he, he picked sixth Russell 100 yards in his first play. And he's done some other stuff since then, but I think that play is the is the best, is most emblematic of how the impact he's had. Like obviously he looks faster and bouncier than some of the other guys they've had back there um, since since Earl's kind of been gone. I think it's actually kind of mostly been Teddy Thompson and Bradley McDougal, but even then Jamal is better than both of them significantly. But that being able to do that on his first play, that is that's the next level dude. That's when I was like, you know. That's why you trade two first-round picks for that guy. <laughs> he's going to make a difference. On your, Russell doesn't throw a lot of picks. He yeah. definitely doesn't throw a lot of picks in practice because he can't get sacked in practice, really no pressure. So that means Russell just stood back there, no pressure, boom, just snatched out of the sky. Uh, Jamal is a special, special, special guy. Is there just like an immediate aura about someone that good when they were in the building? Like, you know, Bobby Wagner is the king of the defense, but presumably there's – even he's looking around like, yeah, I got another guy with me now. I think we're not in the building as much, so I don't know necessarily walking around or like the locker room vibe, but I do on the field, you can feel the personality coming out. Um, Sherman was like that too. Um, Earl, not so much. Cam, not as much in practice, although I didn't cover a ton of Cam. I just had that one training camp and then he got hurt in October um, or November 2017. But there was just a juice about Jamal, or is a juice about Jamal, where it's like, even if it's not something fiery, even if it's just like uh, DB gets beat in a drill, Jamal is coming up to the guy, I'm like, hey, man, no, you got it. Look, just turn your head, do this, whatever. Or even if a guy does make a play, like, he's running over there, they're jumping in the air, they're slapping hands, whatever, like, you know, just say, hey, good shit, man, like that stuff. 
Um, and a lot of guys do that, but like he's about it all the time. You know, Sherm was like that too. Shaquille Griffin's like that as well. Uh, Frank Clark was like that um, as well. Um, some dudes are just silent killers, like Bobby. Bobby and Doug were silent killers, man. They just didn't have to say a lot. They just got there and, and whooped your ass, and then that was it. Um, but Jamal's a different, different type of guy. The energy is there all the time. And maybe that won't be there all the time. Like, he just got here. He's on the honeymoon phase. But for now, you know, it's there. And it forces everyone else to match it, too. Like, imagine this guy's in there screaming in the huddle, and you're just – no, man, you're, <laughs> you're, you're fired up, too. So, yeah. um, I mean, some dudes are still just introverts. Like, Trey Flowers is, is an introvert for the most part. But um, the juice that he brings, it is contagious for sure. What was your, like a year ago, I was outside the copper box in London with no phone signal when we uh, made the trade for Clowney. What was your initial reaction to um, the trade? Um, well, it was, it was um, I was upset at the timing of it because I was away out of town at a bachelor party. Um, and I had to try to write my story on the, on the boat that we had rented uh, for the bachelor party. And then a big ass wave splashed my computer and it went dark. Um, it was just a really awful experience Um, we eventually got my computer back but like for like 30 minutes there I wasn't able to really report on the trade my computer with everything I was working on had just died Um, I didn't have anything backed up to like a cloud or whatever so I just lost everything on this boat in the middle of the state of Washington so that was actually really awful once I got everything figured out I thought they overpaid um, I thought two first-round picks is a lot for that position and then a guy you got to pay. Um, but I think doing all that you can to make sure you have a Super Bowl team when you have Russell, there almost is no such thing as, like, really doing too much. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can you can give up too much, maybe too many assets. Those are long-term. You can fix that type of stuff. If you're wanting to say, press the button now, we'll figure it out later, I can understand that. Because it's not just that you've got Russell's prime. There's some other people on the roster where you have to wonder about how well they're going to play at that high level at the price you're getting them for, right? Like, Tyler is at a bargain. Bobby is expensive. Bobby's also, I think, I forget how old Bobby is, but, like, I don't think Bobby, I think Bobby's not just going to like fall off the cliff when he's ever, he does start declining, but I don't necessarily, I don't, how many all pro years do you have left, right? Like how many years in total does Dwayne Brown have left? How many years in total does KJ have left? How many years are you going to get Chris Carson at like $2 million? How many years are you going to get like a pro bowl corner and Shaq for $2 million, right? Quandre is only like at five mil. Dunbar is at three. Jamal's at like, forget his uh, base salary, but, like, it's not even just Russ's prime because Russ is honestly going to have the longest prime of anyone on the roster. It's these other pieces that you have in place. You need to maximize those, too. Like, right now, I think the second most expensive defensive player on the team is Jaron Reed at, like, 11 million bucks or something like that. That is – that's ideal because Jaron Reed ain't the second best defensive player on the team, right? It's because your other dudes are for the cheap. So, uh, I think – those are honestly, it's not just about Russ. You got to maximize all the other stuff. So when I put all that into the equation, 
I was like, okay, I can see why they did it. I probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger on a trade like that personally because it was so much to give up, but I can, I'm comfortable with them doing it as long as they're acknowledging like, hey, we kind of screwed ourselves for like 2022 20, and beyond maybe. Um, but hell, we'll worry about that when we get there. We got two more seasons before that happens and we want to win now. And that, if you frame it that way, you can acknowledge that, okay, they paid a lot, but the payoff could be worth it. One Super Bowl justifies the whole thing. Yeah. But we also, love, we love Percy Harvin for one Super Bowl. Like, I, I'd do that yeah. trade again just for that one play. Yeah, exactly. We have Percy Harvin for I mean, seven yards. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the Percy thing, um, I thought the Jimmy Graham trade was a lot, uh, but I could see why they did that too. There's just been some trades that when you're trying to win the Super Bowl, you can't just have like, oh, maybe we have a, a contender, maybe we don't. You've got to, especially now with the new format, people forgetting this too. If you don't get the one seed, you're probably not going to the Super Bowl in your respective conference. You know, two through seven all plays in that first weekend. If you're the one, your chances of going to the Super Bowl are much, much higher. Yeah. So how do you guarantee you have the best team in the conference? Yeah. Well, then you, you trade for all pro players. Like, that's, that's kind of how that goes. But look, because, you know, obviously it's not the repeat beat for beat as it was last year, but we were, what, half a yard from being the number winning the NFC West to Jacob Hollister Bowles in a different direction. And Jamal Adams makes a much bigger difference in that half a yard, doesn't he, on this team? If you look at it through that, if you look at it that way kind of thing, he makes a much more palpable difference than how close his team was in so many games and in the biggest game in week 17 last year. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I don't think the Jacob Hollister play really speaks to how far away I think they were from yeah. the Niners. Mm-hmm. I think, or the Saints. I think the Saints were much better than the Seahawks last year. The Saints have just had some really bad playoff luck for the past like four years, um, three years maybe. Yeah. Um, between the Minnesota Miracle, the no PI call in the NFC title game, and then the another no PI in the first round this year or last year. Um, but to the Seahawks, I mean, some people have bared this out in the numbers too. They got really lucky in a lot of games last year. Um, they had. The injury luck bit them later, but even then, they played the Falcons without Matt Ryan. They played the Panthers without Cam Newton. They played the Steelers, for the most part, without Big Ben. They played the Bengals without A.J. Green. Um, The Niners had a backup kicker in in that first game, and he missed the field goal. That would have ended it, you know. Uh, They beat the Rams in that week five, um, but they won because the kicker missed. Mm. Right, like that. That's it. That 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 ball goes the other way. It doesn't change how good or bad they played that day, right? So um, they caught a lot of breaks uh, last year. I thought, and not even I thought. I know they did. Just in terms of injuries or whatever. And while the Hollister play, they could have. Yeah, they were inches away technically from. I think they would have had the one seed if they had won that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's easy to do that, but I just think that. Like, their, their, their point differential wasn't great. Their defense wasn't great. Their pass blocking wasn't great. There were just so many things that, like, that were in their favor to kind of balance out. the. They got a lot of turnovers with a defense that wasn't that good. Um, turnovers are mostly random plays. Uh, so, 
I think the gap between them was before Jamal, between like the Niners and the Seahawks, was actually pretty significant. I think the Niners actually still have a better roster. Um, but it's a lot smaller now. And I think that's from the Jamal trade, too. They couldn't have just thought, oh, we were just like a half a yard away, so we're, we're, we're just as good as the Niners. No, they needed Jamal. They were – they were a lot farther away than that little half a yard with Jacob yeah. Hollister, and it bared out in the numbers from the whole the whole season. Yeah. So uh, well, other training camp stuff, Mike. What obviously the, there's a, still a massive uh, Luke Wilson influence if it's not just the short shorts. I don't even want to give Luke the credit there. <laughs> I really, I really don't. Well, because for one, I don't know how much of it is Luke because. Uh, like we were talking about, these guys haven't got a chance to know each other. So, like, how much influence did Luke really had on someone like Jamal Adams? Um, yeah. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. What I do think is um, guys are a lot more worried about their sex appeal on the field than I thought. Um, <laughs> I mean, and it sounds kind of crazy, but then you think about, like, Ezekiel Elliott had his stomach out on draft night. <laughs> like, he had it – like in his suit to like have his six pack showing. I think like, and he was like on the field, like showing his six pack while he's running. Like he was that guy. I think the NCAA actually tried to ban that. Um, like when I, uh, Wazoo guys did that too. So I think that's just kind of the, the wave now. And it, it reminds me of Jamal and Jordan Brooks, who are the like two guys who always have their short shorts for their tight stuff. They're pretty young. I think Jamal's 24 and Jordan Brooks is 20. Yeah. Roster 22, maybe. Um, so that's what the kids are doing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to give Luke a bunch of credit, but it is leg day every day at practice. <laughs> good, good guy. Yes. Jordan Brooks has got like the Saquon Barkley is another guy who was just like um, the rookie in uh, Green Bay is like that too this year. Um, the, running back, the Thunder thighs. AJ Dillon from Boston College. Yes. Yeah. So I don't even think it's Luke. I don't. I don't think it's Luke. And I said I say that not just because Luke has terrible taste in music. I just I genuinely do think you look across the league. That is just kind of how the guys are just behaving. They're wearing like real tight shorts, rolling their stuff up, showing their stomachs on the field. Um, and that makes sense with everything on Instagram and pictures going viral and all that. Like it. it I get it. I get why guys want to do that. Some dudes don't really care, but like, I don't think it's a Luke thing as much as it's like guys really care about their sex appeal. At, at it's, it's just a happy coincidence, then. Yeah, I don't want to give Luke that credit. I really don't. <laughs> um, you, I love Luke, but I just can't give him that credit. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it talks about the immediate impact Jamal made, and then you, when you saw the pick six, it's like, okay. Cool. That makes it makes more sense now. Is that kind of was that the same kind of deal when you saw Jordan? Is, have you had that same thing with Jordan Brooks? Obviously, he's been dinged the last few days, I think. But is, is there any like is, is he had that moment with you yet? Or is it was because the sheer size of him is one thing. I haven't had that feeling about a guy in a while. We didn't get to see Clowney practice, though. I imagine I would have saw it with Clowney. Um, I do remember it with Earl. Um, because I think my first year, Earl was coming off breaking his leg. I'm pretty sure, and he didn't like practice at first right away. Um, so then when he finally got on the field, it was like, oh, yep, 
Mm-hmm. That's the best player on the field. I firmly believe that year Earl was the best player on the team. I thought he was the best player on the team until about 2018. Um, he he gives me that feel. Chris Carson's 2018 gave me that feel. Um, so he's also coming off breaking his leg. Maybe it's a broken leg thing. I think about it. Uh, Chris was coming off breaking his leg, and everyone was watching the running backs because they had Rashad. Yeah. And I remember watching Chris and thinking, okay. I know first round pick and stuff, but 32 is the best offensive player in that group. Like it's clearly 32 and it's not close. And that's become true. Last year, DK was a, is kind of similar. It was just like, okay, I don't really care how many routes he can run. I just saw him do that. So that's the 14 is legit. And that's how it was with Jamal. It was like, okay. Yeah. 33 is probably the best player on the field right now. And, I mean, Russ is, is better, and Bobby's better, but, like, Jamal has room to be like, oh, this is one of the best 10 players in football. That's kind of the space I think Bobby and Russ are already in. Mm. But Jamal is kind of giving off those vibes like, oh, he'll be there eventually. And to be fair, DK is too. DK is – I need to talk to some more people who covered the Falcons back then, but I would imagine this is what DK, this is what Julio Jones looked like in 2012. This is probably exactly it. It, it looked exactly like this with him being big, strong, fast, and no one in the building could do anything with him. So like D, Jamal, DK, early Chris Carson, not not so much now. It's not mind blowing, but like those guys, they they had the players where I was like, I get it. <laughs> oh, this, so we, this all makes this all makes sense now. Uh, we haven't had we haven't had you on the pod since uh, the, the uh, experiment, the experience that was Marshall Lynch over Christmas in the playoffs. What what was that like? Finally getting to cover him. Obviously, you watched him from a different vantage point his first go around. What was it like getting as close as Marshall would let you get in for those three three and a half weeks? Yeah, so I didn't cover Marshall on the first time. I got here in 2017. He was um, with the Raiders that year, so. My first time ever seeing Marshawn, well, in the, in that setting, I had seen him actually just like out in Seattle because just, you can just randomly bump into Marshawn. <laughs> I was I was in the locker room. This might have been the first or second day he got signed, and I was talking to a player. Um, it's hard to talk about the locker room structure, but I was standing close, very close to where guys come in. Um, I'm just talking, and then Marshawn, he walks by, and you can see, I can feel him staring at me and it's not like a good stare it's almost like a who the fuck are you stare <laughs> um so i'm not necessarily dressed like a media member i think i had a mariner's jersey on that day like I, I, unless i have a recorder which i didn't i was just talking to this player i wasn't like interviewing him so we were just kind of just talking about shoes i think and then he just comes by and just mugging and i was like wait did i say something about and then the player looked and saw it too, because my whole vibe changed. I was like, "What's going on?" And the player looked, looked at me, and was like, "Why, Marshall? Look like he want to fight you?" I was like, <laughs> "I don't know. We ain't never met before." Um, so that was a little. It, it nothing ever happened. I never even asked him about it. Uh, I just remember thinking. And that was a weird first way to be around Marshawn, like him looking like he was gonna just like try to fight me. <laughs> um, that was that was a that was a weird day. And then the only other time I asked Marshawn something was 
uh, it was after the, the playoff game against Philly because someone asked him about DK, and he said that that boy is big as hell. It can move crazy or something like that. Um, and I think I I did a follow up, and he was like, "Man, I ain't about to answer that." I was <laughs> like, "All right, cool, no follow up." And that and that was just kind of just it. Um, yeah. I saw him once in the lobby. Um, after practice one day, uh, I must have waiting for a ride or Uber or something. I'm walking from the front desk, like leaving to go home, and I can just he's just in the hallway, just kind of just slapping mute, listening to music real loud, like how I listen to music. Like, I don't know if anyone anyone who's been around me when I got my headphones on, you're also hearing my song, uh, <laughs> and that's how he was. Somehow we locked eyes again. And he just looked up. Looked, I looked at him. Usually black people when they see each other do like a head nod thing. Nah, <laughs> just kind of just stared at each other, and then just left, and and that was it. Uh, and they went to Green Bay and lost, and that was the end. Uh, so I thought it was fun. I mean, guys really enjoyed him. I was gonna write a story about him talking to uh, Michael Dixon about snakes, because um, apparently Marshawn went to wherever Michael Dixon's from. I forget now off the top of my head. It's somewhere in Australia. Marshawn went there, and he was talking to him about like seeing some big ass snakes. Uh, over there, and it was just it just blew his mind. Like he seeing him connect with guys like that was 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 pretty cool. Obviously, some guys are happy to see him, Bobby, KJ, Russ, Luke Wilson, even. But like him just getting to know like you know a Chris Carson or who, or I guess Chris was gone, but like Travis Homer even or Michael Dixon. It's like imagine all the things that Michael Dixon and Marshawn Lynch don't have in common. The thing <laughs> that brings them together is. It's football and big ass snakes in, in Australia. <laughs> like the Marshawn, you want to talk about an aura around someone? Marshawn definitely he had it. I mean, I, I've just finished watching the last latest series of Last Chance You, which is in Oakland, and every single player, every single coach, everyone is wearing beast mode. And it was kind of cool seeing like a palpable legacy, if you want, that he has back down in back in the town, and he clearly had that in that locker room as well, doesn't he? Yeah, and this is not necessarily related to the, what you're saying now, but here that reminds me of well, the point I was making about when you protest, it's about your words. Marshawn don't stand for no anthem either, mm-hmm. right? But he's probably the most beloved NFL player there is. Well, he's not active right now, so maybe not. But, like, when he was active, easily, I would say the most liked player in the NFL is probably Marshawn Lynch. Second yeah. is probably Larry Fitzgerald or something. Um like those two dudes are just beloved, like not the most popular, but just like legit beloved. And JJ Watt and other OBJ and Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are more popular, but people just legitimately love Larry Fitzgerald. They legitimately love Marshawn Lynch, and Marshawn was doing the same thing as like Colin Kaepernick, uh, and never caught any you know flat, and because he never said anything about it, never said why he was doing anything, um, and if you ask him, he won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's just also genuinely a good a good dude. He's someone who cares about um, others. I think when people get money and power, depending on how they got it, they can just use it to belittle people or treat it like a service position. Marshawn treated being famous like a service position, whether he was serving Oakland or the janitor or the city of Seattle or some kids in, in uh, over where you guys are. I think he went over there uh, once or twice, too. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, twice. He was there in 2018, actually, when the Seahawks came, too. Uh, yeah. But Marshawn treats life as a service position. He wants to serve others and help other people get up out of the conditions that they're in. That is what makes him such a good dude, and he doesn't ever code switch. Whenever he walks into a room, he's just going to talk how he talks, and you better understand it. If you don't, <laughs> it's your fault. It damn sure isn't Marshawn's fault. In terms of the, like, you know, normally in, in training camp, you know, we all watch Hard Knocks. It's like, you know, the end of the episode of Hard Knocks is the is the preseason game. Now, there's no preseason games. So mm-hmm. someone like Stefan Sullivan, who might be looking at, in a normal year, the four games is, is time to pop. He now has to do it yeah. in practice where you can't really hit, you can't really barge into people, you can't show off your physicality. So obviously it's tough on the coaches who are going to have to pick with these guys and there is an extended practice squad. But is there a noticeable difference this year with the bubble guys like that are really looking to make a team when they, these are their, these are their, you know, normally it's the practice, the preseason games, they, they don't have those now. So is there more of a pop from these guys now? I feel like I've seen it more of them guys who are trying to like, it's not that they're trying to fight for a job. It's guys who are fighting to start. Mm-hmm. Um, like Trey Flowers, you can tell this dude is hungry, man. You can just, I can feel it. Cause I'm a little bit closer to the field than like some of the other cats. This dude, you can feel like, man, he, every rep, he's trying to win. Every, maybe that's a Quentin Dunbar thing. Maybe that's just how he would have felt regardless if they traded for Quentin or not. Um, it's hard to know because they traded for Quentin so long ago. Um, Trey's been like that. Uh, Benson Mayola has looked like that. Just like, uh, just, uh, just out for blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell it's like old linemen. Um, but I think the way those, like those two in particular have been performing, I mean, even like DK. I know he's not fighting to start necessarily, but like you can just feel the passion there. David Moore too. When I see David Moore go on these reps, it looks like a dude is like is tired of being third or fourth or fifth in the depth chart. Like that's the dude who wants the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel that with with those guys. I think with the draft picks, all the draft picks are safe. I think they'll make the team either on the practice squad or just on the active roster. I don't think they have to worry about that. I think there will be so many teams trying to keep their own draft picks that they won't have time to, like, really dive in and poach another team's seventh-round pick or sixth-round pick. Because what, what intel do they have? They have nothing. Mm-hmm. That's a much bigger fear if, like, Stefan was to play three of those games and play well. you got to worry about, like, the Vikings taking him. Right? Yeah. Ain't nobody seen this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know his medical. They don't know anything. They don't know what, 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 how much he even weighs, right? So – I wouldn't worry about that from for those guys. It's really the undrafted dudes who are like fighting for a spot for real, like a job, because this is really all they have. Um, but I really have been feeling it from guys who are like really trying to prove themselves who have already been here, like a Trey, um, even Benson, he's returning. Cody Barton is fighting, man. That's a tough dude. He's not no slouch, not no punk. Uh, he'll give you a little something after the play and let you know, hey, I did that. Mm-hmm. I'll be right here next rep too. Um, if 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 you're with nothing like crazy, but I like guys like that. Play with an edge. Um, yeah, it it there's been a few guys, not necessarily the draft picks. Those guys are those guys are safe, except for the undrafted kid who tried to get a girl. That was he's not safe. He's not. <laughs> okay, risking it all. Um... Funniest, funniest story of training camp, man. I, <laughs> I can't believe that wasn't a hard knock. That's a hard knock. Special. I really want I mean, to know how much TMZ is going to have to pay to get that footage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't stop thinking about 
that guy. I mean, it's just insane. <laughs> like you have, if she, if she's not going to be your wife, then that is immediately not worth that. Cause that is just insane. I mean, what he was probably what? 50 yeah. grand he was being paid. Two grand you got. In oh, total. Wow. Wow. So I was talking to some people in the league. I think he got a $2,000 signing bonus. And I thought he would have had to pay that back to his agency for training, but it doesn't sound like that's what what would have happened. Um, they get paid for like OTAs and stuff. They get like stipends. Um, so he probably made. He was here for like a week and a half, so he would have probably made about five or six G's um, total. Wow. He wouldn't have been paying for the hotel. Team pays for that. Um, he would have had team gear. So unless he bought like a big gold chain after, you know, the signing bonus, he should be, he should have been all right there. But the problem is it's gone now. <laughs> mm. It's gone. Uh, and I, I, I dug into the story a little bit. I talked about it on our podcast with Chris, um, that it, it wasn't necessarily in, to my understanding as much as like a, Hey, come through. I want to have sex with you right now type of thing. But from what I've gathered, he was being irresponsible enough that if he wasn't, he was risking COVID for, uh, he was putting himself at risk to get COVID, which was then putting him, his uh, teammates at risk. And that is enough to get you out of here. Yeah. Uh, regardless if that's what it was with the girl trying to disguise as a player, I don't really know all that. I think she did have Seahawks gear on, but the intent <laughs> to like disguise her as like Tyler Lockett or something. I don't know if that was the case, yeah. uh, but regardless, he was being wildly irresponsible and if you're going to be an undrafted dude who had no interceptions as a DV in college, you probably should not be that irresponsible. No. They should, they should have signed Madre Harper. But... Yeah. yeah. Where did, did he go somewhere? Vikings? Yeah, uh, Raiders. Raiders, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously the one other – we talked about it briefly earlier with Danny Etling coming over from the Falcons. Um, there's a chance again, another year, another Seahawks season, and – for some reason, another coog on the roster. What chance? I mean, what, what, what chance do you think Andy Gordon has, and how much is that a coog grad, and how much is that Michael Sean Dugar, journalistly athletic? So when I, I think I tweeted it, and it, it just kind of took off more than I thought. That Anthony <laughs> Gordon should be quarterback too. Um, I mean, he should. Why not? I mean, I think people are really high on. I don't know why people are high on Gino. Gino's a good, good dude, great guy. Um, but, like, his track record of playing football is bad. Like, it, objectively speaking, it's bad. Um, I think he's thrown more interceptions in his career yeah. than touchdowns. Like, that is bad, right? Nowhere to put that. Right? I don't know how you spin that another way. Um, yeah, his ceiling is very, very well established. He's backup. Um that probably might be Gordon's ceiling as well. Um, and I understand wanting to have a veteran there, but um, I would like to see Anthony there. The problem with some of these, uh, I don't think he'll get there at all. Like realistically speaking, no. He won't. He's barely getting any reps in practice. Since I tweeted that, he's barely gotten like any team reps, seven on seven. I might have cursed the kid. I'm sorry. Uh, I really might have. But the the thing with these guys is it's not even their throws. Like uh, uh, Anthony's pretty uh, accurate. What's tough about these guys, and if you guys have watched Hard Knocks, you've seen like a play call in the NFL was pretty long. Um, mm-hmm. There's the Sean Watson clip going viral right now of him on like a, a film breakdown, and the and the play is like is like uh, Big Mac seventy two 
uh, gun, right, smash. That's one play, right? And it tells every level of the offense what to do. But in college, it ain't that hard. And Wazoo, Mike Leach goes like this, and you know the play. That's it. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do because he just goes like this. Or the play is called, like, Y-cross. Boom. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And they don't huddle in college. So you have to command a huddle every single play in the pros. And you have to know, like, you have to walk in there with those grown men and say, hey, get twins right, 82, hatchback fly or whatever. You got to every time. And then you got to go to the line and do the audibles and all that. And if you've never done that, that is where the transition will be tough for you because it's a lot of information. You've got to command all that and do it the right way. I mean, the guys that picked it up, Kyler Murray is fine at it. Gardner Minshew didn't do it either, and he was fine with the Jags. And we've seen guys from spread offenses make the transition. But it's harder if you're not being put in a position to succeed. Gardner's yeah. the third quarterback on the damn team. They probably don't even really give a damn if he picks that stuff up or not. He's got to put in that extra time and then get those reps that he's not even getting in practice. So it's, it's an uphill battle in the worst way. But um, – but, the good news is this is the year to have three QBs on the roster because you've definitely got to make sure there's an emergency plan if someone gets yeah. thrown about it. But also, what well, I think we just talked about before, Adam, if Russell Wilson get in, gets injured, it doesn't really matter who quarterback is, so he might as well have fun with a guy who threw for 70 million yards in college last year. So that's not how decisions are made in the NFL. That's why I'm sitting in a back room in Coventry. But there's got to be a certain point where it comes to that kind of – yeah, it doesn't really matter, does it? If we're I <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I don't think teams look at it that way because I think no. how they look at it is, and this makes sense. How I would look at it too, if, if we're a good team, right? If we're a bad team, like when the Jets had Luke Falk out there, like they were screwed. I love Luke Falk to death. <laughs> Luke looked terrible in the NFL, like he was bad. Um, and he was on national TV, just stinking up the joint. But if you're a good team like the Seahawks. You want to be like, all right, if Russ is out, we need the guy who's not going to cost us the game. Mm-hmm. That is your goal every week. Now, I don't necessarily think Gino's that either, but Anthony cannot be that. He, as a rookie, undrafted rookie, he, he, he would be the reason that they lose some, lose some games. Yeah. It's because you don't have the – you just don't know. And that's the other thing with, like, the inexperience that you don't have with the preseason – Anybody can get down their own team's plays and get used to going at their own team's defense, right? But the, the tough part about a preseason game is like, okay, what happens when they throw something at you that we didn't go over on film or like that I haven't to- taught you already or the communication's hard, but you got to figure out this. It's a loud stadium and you got to adjust on the fly and, you know, like they throw these wrinkles at you. That's what you don't get in the preseason. Like, for example, someone like Jordan Brooks, I think I mentioned this on the podcast too with Chris, he could be prepared as hell after going against his own team for a, a month. He get that first game, the Falcons will scheme something up he ain't never seen in his life. And then he's out of, he's out of position, you know, and he's second-guessing himself and trying. he's trying to not make mistakes and then instead of trying to do his job. And then it gets all out of whack, right? It happens to every rookie every year for the most part. So, I mean, that's, that's the part you lose with the preseason. It's like how do you adjust to when teams start throwing other stuff at you? Pete's only going to – surprise these guys so much on defense or offense yeah. but the other team's trying to confuse the hell out of you <laughs> right and in the preseason it's pretty vanilla teams aren't like opening their playbook up you know to play you in game three. Oh, but week one of the regular season they'll throw the book at you like 
imagine with their second game is Dallas. Imagine Bill Belichick has like one game of tape on Jordan Brooks starting a weak side linebacker. Man, he can scheme the hell out. He's going to run everything right at Jordan. And not to say he can't handle that, but that that's where you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And if yeah. you've got anyone out there second-guessing what they're supposed to be doing or how they're supposed to be processing the information and acting on it, well, then you could be, you know, in trouble. Look at Shaquem his first year. He got benched by halftime of his first game as a rookie, right? Because the Broncos, uh, I think him getting benched was unfair. But for Norton, Norton was like, look, you don't got it right now. And he never played again. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they can really – this team cannot really afford uh, to do that. And it's tough for the guys on the roster who could use those reps. Um, but when when you're not getting them, it's really hard to prove yourself because teams are going to be throwing so much other shit at you that just because you have your own playbook down and you kind of got used to going against DK or Philip Dorsett every day, well, okay, your first rep might be against Julio. Figure it out, you know, so that's – that's the tough spot that some of these other guys are in. Yeah. Uh, so quickly to, to wrap up, because we've kept you far too long for your hectic uh, schedule with training camp and everything. Um, quick spin in the bin, Adam. Yeah, go on then. Uh, well, I'll start because I didn't do one last time. I, I texted you this a few days ago, Mike. Uh, what is going on with Dion Sanders? I mean, he's... he's Man, Dion... He, he's, he's gone from giving national love at the combine to the HBCU combine which obviously was then cancelled because of COVID and now he's cashing checks on Portnoy's Merry Men I don't know enough about Dion and how he kicks it to answer completely for him but I will speak to the to the because he's on Barstool now right yeah Barstool is gross <laughs> in like a, a gazillion ways yeah Barstool is not perceived to be gross by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, I get people who send me stuff from Barstool. Um, it'll just be something everyone else has, too, but it'll be some funny thing, someone chugging a beer or a coach saying something funny from their Instagram page or something like that. And my first thought is, ew, what are you sending me from Barstool? But th- that thought never crossed their mind. They don't have these thoughts. Um, I think Barstool, because Barstool has a niche, it has a, a fan base it's trying to serve. And it's leaned in heavily to that space. It's mm-hmm. probably their best numbers are probably like white guys from 24 to 45 or something like that, right? Like that's, that's their base and they're sticking to it. And they feed them. They really don't care about anyone else who has like a conscience of any kind. Um, and because of that, you get people like Dion who may be well-intentioned in some things, signing up like, hey, I need this. I need this check. But it's also, there's been just a run of people just kind of selling themselves out um, for just really no good reason, uh, I think. <laughs> I think everyone basically on Fox Sports is doing that. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm burning a bridge with them, but, like, I don't know how you could be on any show with Jason Whitlock. I just don't know how you could do that. I just I just can't. I, my, my, I don't need to eat that bad. I'll starve. I ain't be on no show with that man. I just can't. I just can't. Can't. Can't do it. So, I mean, even even like, and this is a lesser extent, but even someone like Shannon Sharp, who I respect, I could never do a show with Skip Bayless. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. Never. Never. Could never do it. I just yeah. can't do it. Um, res- respect their craft and what they do, and he's probably the best person on sports. I would say Stephen A is the best person in sports entertainment. Entertainment is very important there. It's probably Stephen A. Next is probably Colin Coward, and third is probably Skip. 
right? Well, independent of their analysis, Charles Barkley is probably fourth or maybe he's even higher. Independent of all their analysis, they entertain the hell out of you when they're on screen. Yeah, the way in which they do um, it. Right. And so I can see why that – and that's all some people see with those guys. And that's – like, I don't know if that's where Dion's thinking, but I think in general, I don't think, like, when we look at, like, us with some actual, like, moral compass of some sort, like, hey, that whole organization is gross. Or that, yeah. that whole organization employs that guy. He's gross. So I could never be with that. That's not how a lot of people see it. And I don't know whether to blame anyone or how that stems from, but I understand that is what it is. It's not usually a conscious decision to like, hey, let me just go work for the gross company. Mm. Adam, anyone for you? I think I might need to let Mike go next because I think of one. He might, he might, maybe Mike's got one stored up. Oh, man. Um, well, you put people in the bin in another show as I'm putting them in the bin. Someone still stole our idea, Stu. And yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. let Mike go on with it. Who? Someone, yeah, someone so, stole uh, our idea. My, uh, I mean, he, uh, uh, his name is um, Nate. Um, he is a teacher in Tacoma. Is uh, a teacher in Tacoma named Nate. I forget his last name right now. Uh, black dude. He's the one. If you guys remember, had that thread about Dory Munson on the Seahawks. Okay. Um, yeah. That kind of went viral. What is? Uh, I did his show uh, with the homie Andrew Hammond at the uh, Tacoma News Tribune. Oh, this is going to bug me. I want to give Nate a shout out for having me at the show. Um, <laughs> bowling. Nate Bowling. Um, at the end of his show, they do, um, it's called Hold This L. It's, mm-hmm. it's the exact same concept <laughs> as Ben. It's the same thing. It's the exact same premise. And I put in there, I put um, Nick, Nick Cannon. Cannon. I put three people in there. There's Nick Cannon, Ice Cube, and someone else. I think it was Deshaun Jackson. Oh, Deshaun Jackson. I put three of those. I put all three of those guys in there, obviously for anti-Semitism, largely speaking. Um, so yeah, they they have the same thing as you guys. I I doubt Nate took it from you guys. Or no, no. Um, but <laughs> I loved the idea. Yeah. Well, uh, right. I think, um, I think the big impact also because I mean, Danny O'Neill talked I, about it was the most English part of our old podcast was when we called it a bin. So hopefully, all, all we want is, is is you using it in one of your stories, Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I ha- I mean, the obvious choice is is Kima, um, uh, Siveran or whatever. How you say last? That dude's tripping, man. <laughs> what he risked? I haven't seen the girl that he risked it all for. <laughs> I'm working on finding her social media accounts or her name, but I've lived here long enough in Seattle. Cause the girl, I will say the girl is, is she's a local. He didn't like import her from okay. his hometown or something. So I've lived here enough and I can confidently say <laughs> there is no woman here in his age bracket worth risking it all for. None. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not, not a one. Not a one. I know he said even if that was maybe his wife, nope, don't even matter. Marry her later. It's not worth that. It's not worth risking COVID. I, mean, I guess I've been tested for COVID 11 times. It sucks. I know people who have people lose, lose people from COVID. It ain't worth risking COVID. Ain't no woman here worth risking your, your career as an NFL player. Because he wasn't just risking his job, like that particular job. He risked his whole career. Uh, being irresponsible, not necessarily for some for, for some booty. He just risked it being completely irresponsible, and so yeah, he he definitely goes in the bin. So I did see something that I think I think Softy said on Twitter that you know no one's ever heard of this guy, no one has a clue who the guy is. So maybe he's just a plant from Pete Carroll 
to say like, you know, if this is what <laughs> you do, yeah, this is the consequences just to show that we're like, here's 500 bucks to act as if you're a real player and do, do this. And, uh, you know, just, just, just do me a favor and put it on Twitter and, uh, and show me that we're serious about COVID, which I did think was uh, quite a good little wrinkle for it. So, yeah, that's funny. I mean, he is a, he's a real guy. He really risked it all, man. He, uh, he, I will say this. He did tell me it wasn't true. Um, so when Steve that's all he said he just said he said it isn't true I was like okay what part <laughs> and, so, and he never, never responded so I'm just going to assume it is true so um, is uh, when Stephen Cohen asked you to join the Athletic a few years ago is this how you thought you'd be a couple of years down the line looking for a, a woman who once wore Seahawks gear in the hotel rooms social media <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't. The Seahawks have had some weird stories, it's man, with even like Gold, Golden Tate stealing the donuts his rookie year, or um, um, uh, Steve, Fred Jackson and Marshawn Lynch drag racing in 2015. Um, <laughs> like, there's been some. Uh, I mean, even the fight before the Super Bowl, um, Cliff, when he retired, uh, said on the Players Tribune that someone was naked on the team playing after they won the Super Bowl, I've been trying to figure out who that is. Uh, like, so I have, I've, uh, there's been some weirdness uh, here as well. So I, I couldn't have predicted this specific thing, but <laughs> this story being a Seahawks story is not weird. I would have probably predicted this to be on the Seahawks or the Raiders or the Cowboys. Those would be the three teams I would guess would have a guy do something like this. I mean, if it was the Cowboys, it would probably have been Jerry, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoever Jerry had in there probably would have been risking it all for it because Jerry's money is pretty long. <laughs> Adam? No, I think we're good. As always, massive thanks for joining us and uh, tell the people where they can find you at. Uh, everyone knows we're following me on Twitter. I'm verified on Twitter. Great thing. I love throwing in my guy Chris Good <laughs> face every show. Uh, Mike Dugar, uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. I think we're doing like free trials right now. Um, I missed Actually, you know every what? People, free trial. I just paid for it, and I've missed every oh free trial same, since. Same. I will. I will. Uh, I think I have four guest passes that I have right now. I can send the people to get a free thirty-day trial. Um, so if whoever's listening right now, look, tw- hit me on Twitter or something. I'll. I, I sent. I had five. I sent one to my friend this morning. I will send another four to whoever reaches out. Um, I'll just make my friends pay or something. Uh, so we definitely don't have full. Let me know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we massively ap- appreciate it, and obviously, I'm I'm going to go and listen to uh, cut them in for like the seventeenth time this weekend as well. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Until next time, you can catch all of us. We are uh, UK Seahawks stuff. We are going to be doing a Zoom watch along for the first game of the season against the Falcons in. Was it 25, 24 days? So that should be fun. All the details will be up on the oh, Facebook. Right. Uh, UK Seattle Seahawks fans at Seahawks UK. If you haven't already, do go subscribe or use one of the passes that Mike can send you because Mike is, and the whole, everyone who covers the Seahawks, Steve as well, there's some of the best stuff on that website. And Mike is one of the, is in our opinion, the best covering the team amongst all the beat and all the tears. And hopefully the tier. Uh, the tears you're in at the minute of the camp show that but yeah massively appreciate you jumping on until next time this has been the Pedestrian Podcast Go Hawks